Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Average Outdoorsman Experience. I'm your host, Caleb Allen. Really excited to be here with you guys. If you haven't already, go ahead, take a second, and subscribe. I'd love to see a lot more of you. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. And uh, guys, I've got a super cool guest today. I want to introduce Cal Zant. He is uh, actually the president of the company that I work for. Uh, I've known him for quite some time, have a ton of respect for him. And I thought he'd be a cool guy to have on just because his interests kind of, they go over a real broad, broad scale. You're, you're into a little bit of everything, but I would start with like man of God up top, husband, father, uh, president of our company, long range competitor, blog writer, hunter. Yeah. Lots of things. (laughs) Uh, I I think I'm, I'm passionate. I, I have, I have two gears off or full throttle. So yeah, the things I do, I'm usually all about it. Um, don't have a lot of hobbies, but the ones I have, I'm pretty into them. Have you ever been one of those guys that collects hobbies and then realizes I have way too many things going on? I can't afford them all. My wife hates me. Like I can't do all this. <laughs> no, I, I've honestly focused on, I, I, you know, I'd get really deep into one thing and then really deep into something else. Uh, but for the longest time, it's been something related to rifles and shooting. But yeah, I've, it, it seems all consuming when I'm into it. No doubt. Yeah. And I think that's, so I'm, I'm sort of the same way. And I, I understand that I, I get in trouble because I collect hobbies. I find something that, okay, I have a slight interest and like the more technical or the more like geary it is, the more I want to jump into it. I like the gear. I like to go through it. I love to review things. I love to like test stuff out and say, okay, what works for me? I love building systems, all of that fascinates me and it's clear that it does you too like anybody who has ever gone onto your blog knows like that you like the research you enjoy the technical parts of it you enjoy studying and i think above all else like you enjoy sharing that with somebody else i do i I like teaching i I like helping other people get into stuff and understand stuff and and hopefully i make it a little easier on them to understand some of the more technical stuff Uh, but i also like just like organizing information i think it's part of what helps me really understand it is organizing it and trying to present it in a way that anybody could understand. That's, that's my goal. I always think of my wife as I'm reading my posts. Uh, you know, I might be talking about really technical aspects of, of barrel twist or, or, uh, the nuances of big bore calibers, but, uh, I always want to write it in a way that even my wife who, you know, she's not into this, she's been around enough conversations, but would she be, if she read this, would she be able to understand what I'm talking about? Cause one of the things I hate is when people feel stupid. I, I I don't like feeling stupid. Nobody does. But I think that's one of the things I, I never want somebody to feel as they're reading through something I've written is I, I feel dumb. I, I got lost here. So I, while I, I write technical stuff, I, I want to teach new people. That's kind of the approach I always bring. And clearly you're, you're onto something. It brought me into it. Yeah. You got the sickness. <laughs> I, got, I got the bug. So what happened was... I don't even know what really piqued my interest, but I I know I was reading your blog one day. I thought, you know what? I've never done long range. I've never really been, it, it, it interested me, but I didn't like, like you said, like there's a lot that goes into it. You don't just go buy a rifle and a scope and and just go out and start pinging thousand yards. You're not, I mean, you might, but most people don't. Yeah. And it's, it's intimidating um, because you don't know, you don't know where to go. And and I think a lot of people are like me. I, I don't mind spending the money, but what I hate is spending money on something and then immediately going, oh, yeah. like, 
Why did I do totally. that? That regret that creeps in. I bought the wrong thing. Dang it. I got to buy it again. And No. And it happens every now and then, but that's it, like you said, the uh, it, going through, going through the blog and we can just start with just kind of talking through the blog. So you, you started this and you've told me the story before, but just for the listeners sake, tell me, like, give me your story on. So why, why go and start a blog? And it's like, now it's crazy and it's huge and it's been awesome to watch grow. I'm sure. But like, what was the, uh, the motivating factor where you're like, I'm going to do this and we're just going to see what happens. Yeah. You, you know, I, looking back, I've always enjoyed writing. I'm not sure. I, I think I've always needed an outlet uh, for that, but really it wasn't even that that made me start the blog. I really started it and I, I wrote for probably two years before I had any followers or any, any significant number of followers. And it was really as I learned stuff and picked up stuff when I first got into this, uh, you know, 10 years ago, there wasn't a lot of good information out there. And what was out there was like just hidden in all the forums and fragmented. And there was like on any forum, there's some really strongly opinionated people, Mm -hmm. but they present their opinions as facts. And it's really hard to tell the difference between what is, Uh, just a loud person and what is the obvious truth, you know? And so as I learned, I would, I might learn about this new topic. I would just go and write a post about it. And it was really just to Google myself so that if next time I was trying to think about what density altitude was or, or how that affected the bullets trajectory, I could just go back and look at that post I wrote uh, of a summary of how it works, you know, Mm -hmm. and more and more I wrote. And then, uh, yeah, after about two years, I, I did a series that, man, it just took off like a shot. So there, I had a ton of readers almost instantly. Really? So it was almost overnight. So you yeah. went from having nothing and then you wrote a series. What was the series? Uh, you know, it was uh, Macmillan stocks. Like they make fiberglass stocks right. and you can uh, do custom colors. Like uh, they kind of blend colors together and you can order a custom stock with these colors blended together. But it's kind of a risky proposition because you never know what how it's going to turn out or what it's going to look like and it's a guess and also it's a you know a thousand dollar guess i hope this looks good yeah and so i started collecting photos from all over the internet where where somebody had posted a photo of a stock they made but only if they listed the exact mix of of colors and what percentages there were Mm -hmm. and then i made all these graphics uh that basically at a glance you could see this rifle and it says the specs of what color it, it colors it was on top of it. Uh, so you could order one like it. It might not end up identical to it, but you'd at least have a really good idea. Man, there was a ton of people who read that and still reference it. In fact, Macmillan uh, linked to it from their own website. And I got to <laughs> meet some cool guys from Macmillan. Uh, you know, I, I do think it it probably helped a lot of people who had always thought about getting one, but mm-hmm. they weren't sure what it looked like. And now, if they could see three examples of how you know this color combination turned out, it'd give them you know the confidence to go and buy it. Mm-hmm. And that's like you said, nobody wants to buy something twice. And so I I really try to help people make informed decisions. And I wasn't thinking about it that way that way on that post, but even some of the what the pros use that's. Uh, one of my most popular series, gosh, ton of readers come to that. And basically I survey the top precision rifle shooters in the country and ask them questions about their gear and chart it all out. And not one or two of them, like hundreds of mm-hmm. them, the top 150 ranked shooters, 
like I have a breakdown of all of their gear and it, it helps, you know, you know, it doesn't mean you, you buy all this high end gear that you're going to shoot as good as they do. Nope. comes down to practice, but it, it does mean you will have capable gear, mm -hmm. gear that is capable of performing at the highest level. And, you know, recently I, uh, uh, shot my first three gun competition, which was a lot of fun, but <laughs> man, I couldn't find any information like that out there yeah. on, on what to get. And so I just went to a match and watched and yeah, I borrowed gear. I, I, I shot the first match. Uh, it was a humbling experience. In fact, my <laughs> first stage ever was this massive shotgun stage had 40 rounds of shotgun, uh, Yikes. which that's a humbling experience to try to reload on the clock with a shotgun. But yeah. Did you fumble the, around a little bit or? Did oh you? my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. Burned my hand, fumbled around, dropped shells everywhere. I was like, man, this is not the stage I'd want to start on, but it was all uphill from there. Yeah. yeah. No, and it's, yeah. And you, you got to learn one way. And I mean, maybe you're one of those people who just it, like trial by fire. Sometimes it's the best way, like go out there and just botch it, blow it. And yeah. then you learn, you're like, this is what I did horribly wrong. Yep. I'm so much better for it. Next time, maybe you do better. Maybe you don't. Yeah. And that's what I, I tell a lot of people. You'll learn more during your first match, then you will just plinking around at the range for two or three years. Yeah. You'll go to one match and it'll be a humbling experience, but at the end of it, you'll be so much better. And that's true for that three gun match. I, I learned so much. And even a lot of guys let me borrow gear. And so I got to see what worked best and, and see what they were running. And, uh, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. What was your, your big takeaway from that, your first three gun match? Oh, uh, you know, I think reloads and especially shotgun loads, uh, being able to load a shotgun and that's something you could practice at home. You don't even have to go to the range nope. to do that. But, um, there's also an efficiency of movement that I'd see among the best shooters that, uh, you know, I see that in the precision rifle game, but they were so proficient with, you know, all three guns and it was a lot of fun to watch, you know, even if I'm not into something, uh, I love to watch somebody who is really good at it. Yeah. Like even, uh, I did this woodworking, uh, workshop a few years ago as a fundraiser for a ministry, uh, narrow gate that mm -hmm. I'm, I'm passionate about. And, uh, so I, woodworking's cool, but I, I'm not like into it, but this was a fundraiser for a ministry. All the proceeds went. So I, I went to this woodworking school where this guy was going to donate all the money to narrow gate for that week's class. And, that guy, he was the editor of Fine Woodworking Magazine for uh, a couple decades, I think. Wow. And he runs this woodworking school in Indiana. And just listening to him talk about, you know, joinery and inlays and veneers and, you know, all of a sudden I got excited about right. it. You got yeah. inspired. I, oh. I just love somebody who is just really passionate and, and has dedicated them to themselves to something I, I just love watching them and mm -hmm. it was that way at that three gun match i understand that that's how kind of what got me so golf i i enjoy golf i'm a terrible golfer i'm awful my golf game is atrocious anybody who's ever golfed with me can vouch for that i'm not good i don't really care i'm out there to go and have fun and like enjoy myself and be yeah. outdoors but i i do enjoy you know you like watching on the weekends watching like pga tournaments and those guys are so skilled yeah watching somebody land you know a golf ball on like in a 10 foot square area time and time again, you know, consistently from 120 yards, it, it blows my mind because I'm, you know, I'm 80 yards off whenever yeah. my ball lands. Yeah. So it, I understand that watching somebody who enjoys what they're doing, but that's the other part is they have to enjoy what they're doing. Yeah. For and that's sure. been, man, honestly, that's been my, my big hang up with, I've, I've kind of gotten 
sick of professional sports just because it's gotten away. I feel like it's, it's slowly but surely kind of gotten away from, you know, the true, like the, the passion of the game. It's about money and, you know, politics and everything else now. And it just, ugh, it's hard to, uh, hard to stomach, but yeah. So three guns, you did your first competition. When are you doing, do you already have something else lined up for that? No, I, I don't. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll probably go. They, they have some cool regional matches not far away. So I, I'd like to do another one. I just haven't done it yet. Yeah. That's awesome. What did you end up having? Like, so you, have you bought equipment already for three gun? What'd you buy? Um, you know, I, I have a Benelli shotgun. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, we went yep. duck hunting. I didn't really have a good shotgun before. <laughs> you had <so> that one. <laughs> I, I have that one now. And, uh, yeah, I love that shotgun. Uh, uh, I'd bought a STI pistol last year, unrelated to three gun. I think when I bought that, maybe that's when the idea got in my head, but, uh, just, a uh, a, a 2011, a double stack, uh, a nine millimeter and gosh, that gun is fun to shoot. Heavy. It is heavy. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. it's wide. That double stack, at least it's nine millimeter, not 45 ACP. Yeah. Double stack ACP is, you know, it doesn't feel as wide. Uh, really. I, I thought it would be a lot wider. I actually like the width of the grip. Uh, it's no problem at all. Hmm. Uh, I, I prefer it over a 1911 grip. No doubt. Yeah. You're the first person I've ever heard say that in the history of ever. Yeah. Yeah, and it's probably a weird thing, but I I think I have a little more control over it. Uh, I don't know, maybe maybe it just fits my hand better. Yeah, and just more to hold on to. Yeah, that makes, yeah, double stack. So double stack. We're using like 147 grain on that. Um, you know, uh, for the match, you mm-hmm. can't buy nine millimeter ammo right now. No, reload. Uh, so and you can't even buy primers right now. So what I have. Uh, I actually shot the match with a uh, Remington UMC bulk ammo. I had a box <laughs> of a thousand of them and I put them in Ziploc bags and go. went, went to the match. Yeah. Hey, it does the trick. It did. And you weren't, you were not trying to win it. No. And I didn't miss one shot because of my ammo, no. you know, there are so many other reasons I missed shots. <laughs> uh, how was the, uh, how was the rifle part? Uh, the rifle part was good for me. Yeah. You know, I obviously uh, shoot a lot with a rifle now, not with an AR, mm-hmm. uh, but, yeah, they they had some shots that were longer than what most people there were used to, but they were not longer than what I'm used to. You know, three or four hundred yards, mm-hmm. I, I'm on it, and I can read the wind pretty well. And uh, so that part wasn't that that was like an old sweater for me. So I I didn't totally botch those stages, mm-hmm. uh, but and I, I did well on the pistol, but the shotgun, man, humbling, trashed you, yeah. Did you, so you're on your rifle, what, what rifle did you, did you you use something you built or did you Uh, buy something off the rack? So I actually, my, I have uh, a couple ARs, but the one I used is a rock river, Mm -hmm. uh, AR 15. It's just their carbine that I have modified, you know, put a different handguard on it and a different trigger and a couple other things. But, um, yeah, it's just a a rock river entry level, uh, carbine, Mm -hmm. uh, with a few modifications, not nice like trigger a, and stuff. Like a one to four scope, uh, something like that. Yeah. I think I used a, a one to six or a one to eight. It's yeah. a Leupold scope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, that, those scopes are great. That one X plus the magnification. Yeah. Pretty ideal. Just a little quick throw lever on there and you yep. can get up on top of it pretty quick. Three gun is a ton of fun. One time I, uh, a buddy of mine, I, I never took it seriously. Um, but he was, he wanted to go do one and I was like, I'll do one, but I'm only going to do it if I have an AK. He was like, you're going to shoot a three gun with an AK? And I said, yeah. okay. I was like, yeah, sure. Sure. I was the sure. only one out there running an AK. And I thought, man, you know what would be fun is I, I want to come out here and do this with like a snub nose next. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. know why. Why not? 
it was a good break. So I, I shoot lots of bolt action yeah. matches, lots and lots. Uh, and I still love those, mm-hmm. but it was fun to go out and, and, you know, I enjoy shooting pistol too. Uh, yep. and, and shotgun is new to me, but, uh, other than hunting, I've hunted all my life with a shotgun. My first gun was a shotgun. So yep. I just haven't used one much lately so are you gonna are you inspired now to maybe start throwing some three gun stuff up on the old blog or oh probably not it's not gonna evolve probably not uh you know i think that's just something i wanted to try to do uh and i got to do it with sean uh but a guy who works with us Mm -hmm. and and travis my brother-in-law and his son si my nephew uh so it's something we all got to do together that was fun yeah camaraderie yeah and friendship all that it always something about shooting a gun it works out really yeah. really well and, and i love competition so i did a nrl 22 competition with my daughter uh just a couple of weeks ago for the that first time would be fun oh it's so fun and it was here local so i mean it didn't take any time you know normally i travel to matches mm-hmm. uh but uh yeah that was a lot of fun and i do have a new uh 22 ordered <laughs> yeah it's i could see myself getting into that so how far out do 22, how far out are you going with the 22 for these matches? So for this local NRL 22 match, the way the NRL 22 works is, uh, they shoot the same course of fire. Every club does across the whole nation. And man, there huh. are thousands of people doing this. It's one of the fastest growing shooting sports. That's uh, cool. And so all the clubs shoot the same course of fire. Mm-hmm. So I forgot there's five stages or something like that. And, uh, it tells you how to set them up, what distances, what target sizes. Um, the one I shot was only out to a hundred yards. Now I have shot a 22 out to 640 yards, <laughs> which is, I, I did that. I went to the King of two miles a couple of years ago. It's a extreme long range competition mm-hmm. and you shoot literally out to two miles. Uh, and I was there and I, I've got to know the, uh, applied ballistics team. They, they, do probably the most respected authority on external ballistics in the world uh, is this group of guys. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were there at the competition and they asked me and my buddy uh, if we wanted to go shoot a 22 that they had just built. And they had this like Genesis scope. I forgot what that scope cost, like $10,000 or something on a 22. (laughs) And uh, I was like, all right, well, and it was so fun. My goodness. And it was just as difficult. So I've shot out to two miles with, you know, a 375 Shaytac or, or some big caliber like that. Hitting a target at 640 yards with a 22 is just as difficult. I can like, imagine. Like the time of flight is almost the same. So any little gust of wind, I mean, you're, you're lobbing bullets. So the ballistics of how to calculate it and read the wind is... It, it's very, very similar. And, and it was really, really fun to shoot with literally with Brian Litz, one of the, you know, uh, foremost ballistics experts in the world right beside you as we're yeah. trying to loft bullets at 640 yards. Uh, I'll never forget it. So I ordered a 22 very similar to what we shot that day. I'm actually shocked that I, I, I guess I should know that 22 will get out that far, but like I, because a 22 bullet is tiny. How many yeah. grains is a 22 bullet? Like 20, uh, 40 grain, usually. 40 grain. Okay. Yeah. So 40 grain bullet. I don't know how they stuff it with enough gunpowder to get it out that far. Yeah, how far it, is a drop on that? Do you have any oh, idea? Do you remember? It's a ton. That's why that scope was so expensive because it had so much uh, adjustment. Uh, you could adjust so much. In fact, we had to take the suppressor off the rifle 
because the suppressor was getting in the way of the scope. <laughs> we were adjusting the scope so much. Uh, yeah. So it, it was a lot of fun. I would actually enjoy that a lot. 22 is, and it's not just us. 22 is, is one of the most fun little calibers to shoot just because it's cheap. Yeah. Anybody can buy one. It's super cheap and they're fun and they're not super loud. They're, they're quiet. They're easy to shoot. Like kids can shoot it. Your daughter. Yeah. What'd your daughter think of the uh, competition? Oh, she loved it. She, she loved it. And in fact, the first stage, you know, I didn't know what to expect at that one. And I told her, Hey, we're just going out here to have fun. Well, I don't even know what to practice. I don't know what an NRL 22 match is. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know that it was all posted online. I could have looked, but uh, I didn't know what to expect. I said, hey, we don't know what to expect, so we're just going to have fun this time. And then we'll practice before the next one. We'll know how to practice, yeah. and I'll go out there with you. And uh, so I didn't really prep for the match at all. In fact, like I forgot my suppressor when I went out there, and it was zero <laughs> for the suppressor. So I'm like zero in the <laughs> rifle right before we walk up to the first stage. Uh, and I, I got down behind the gun on the first stage. I said, Hey, I'll, I'll go first and you could go after me. And the first stage I shot there was, had these super tiny targets at 30 yards. And then I think at 80 yards, but I mean, they were like a half inch, the target. Yeah. So, I mean, super tiny, they were the tiniest targets of any of the stages. And I thought, okay, well, I guess Find out if I got to take on zero. Let's go. And I, <laughs> I missed the first target. I missed the second target. I think I hit one of the third or fourth targets. But then I came back to the small ones, missed both of them again. And I was like, dang it, I must not have got a good zero. And uh, so my daughter got down behind the gun right after me. Yeah, you know where this is I going. Exactly what just happened. And yeah. she goes, ding, ding, <laughs> ding, four for four. So she was literally beating me after the first stage. Uh, now that didn't last all day, but she did. She was beating me after the first stage, and I thought, "Holy crap!" That's when you look down your nose and just go, "Baby, I'm I'm used to like, yeah. like a mile, yeah, this, this thirty yard stuff." Well, they did have one uh, barricade stage, so I'm used to running barricades, like in the Precision Rifle Series or the National Rifle League, the NRL, but not the 22 version. We shoot off barricades. Mm -hmm. We shoot long range. You know, you might shoot to 600 to a thousand yards, but Oftentimes you'll shoot off barricades and barricades are not easy to shoot off. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's a skill. You, you got to practice, uh, how to get steady off an improvised position. And, uh, so they had a tank trap there. Hmm. So a tank trap is like a giant Jack, uh, you know, like, like, uh, all crossed up. So there's not really a, a steady place you yeah. can just lay. It's all angles, but man, I've shot those a lot. And I think this stage required you to transition between the tank trap and this tire uh, that was laid down on the so side, just a, a black tire. And you would fire one shot off the tank trap, one shot off the tire, one shot uh, from a different position on the tank trap, go back to the tire from a different position on the tank trap. And you go back and forth. I think you had like eight positions or something. And they would dictate what position uh, you're shooting from. Well, you, I think you had to shoot off every single leg of the tank trap and then a couple other positions. Okay. So they wouldn't say exactly where or what order, but you, you, but just, you had designated yeah. positions. And so, uh, nobody that whole day had got all the shots off. Uh, and when I saw that tank trap, I go, Oh yeah. It's oh time, yeah. Time for this is, this is, <laughs> this is my territory over here. I might not have been good over there. And it was, I freaking smoked that. You stage. did. So redemption. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Earned your daughter's respect back. Yeah. The only guy to finish the stage all day you had the highest score on it. Yep. Uh, now I did not win that match. Not even close. I think I got fifth or something like that. So it wasn't too bad. Fifth locally, but like did now yeah, do yeah, they, yeah. they rank you guys against, you know, I didn't look, I, should, I bet you can look at how, how you did 
nationally. Uh, I'm not a registered member, so mm. maybe I can't. Uh, I should become one though. You should. Yeah. That's actually it would be. That is one of the cool things about them all doing the same course of fire is you can compare yourself to others across the country. Yeah, and, and you're going to always have like a huge field of, of, of competitors. Like how can you possibly like yeah. it's just going to push you harder and harder to get better? It really is. It's one of the fastest growing shooting sports. It, it, there's a lot of people dumping a lot of money on. Mm. I mean, they're, the rifle setups out there uh, were out. I was shocked when I, when I walked up, I thought, you know, this is just a little local 22 match. And there, there was uh rifle rigs there that cost as much as my precision rifle uh, no match kidding. rifles. Yep. So seven, $10,000 rigs all yep. day long. Yep. That's uh, there, on yeah. 22 caliber. Now, now there were some people who didn't have setups like that, but I'm going to say there, there's probably four or five competitors that had, you know, it's probably $5,000 or more in that rifle. I've got a old Sears. Uh, 22 in that closet right there. That's like, was my grandfather. Yeah. That's like 70 years old. Yeah. I've killed a lot of rabbits with it. You should take that one out there and see. I don't even yeah. know if it fires to be honest with you. I have no idea if it does. Well, no. we had my daughter's 10 22. So I mean, <laughs> we, it's not like we had a awesome setup. I did order a, a voodoo tactical 22, which I've been thinking about for a long time. Voodoo tactical makes good, good, good stuff though. Yeah. And it's a bolt action. So yeah. I feel like I can use it as a trainer, but, uh, it's also, I got, I got it set up, uh, it's, it's a big barrel and I got it set up for extreme long range 22. Can you reload for 22? I like, I don't even know if you can reload. No, rim no, fire. uh, you can't reload rim fire. I know Olympic shooters that they use factory ammo. Huh. Uh, so that's what you just roll with. Is a good I'm sure ammo. there's some guy out there on the internet who reloads <laughs> he's talking, he's talking rim fire. But, no, Cal, tell uh, you what, yeah. come on down. No, I know Olympic shooters that they buy, uh, Lapua, Lapua hmm. makes her ammo. Cool, man. So and actually they don't buy it. They, 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 are, they are gifted it from Lapua. <laughs> so you've, you've got this blog going. Obviously, it's a huge passion of yours. What's your favorite part of, of like you, and you've been doing it for how long now? 10, 10 years? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I started it in 2012, maybe. Okay. What's keeping it going? I love learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love teaching. And I think I have to have, I have to have some outlet for writing. Yeah. Uh, I, that's, I, I enjoy learning and I think there's something about organizing information and the teaching and all of that just kind of comes together on the blog and it's not work to me. Um, I also enjoy researching and the MythBuster style of, uh, you know, I'm going to put this stuff to the test. And when I say test, like empirical tests, like I've fired 5,000 rounds to uh, prove a point in some of my research. So, I mean, it's very serious stuff. In fact, Brian Litz has published some of my research mm-hmm. in his, in his book, uh, modern advancements in long range shooting. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's serious research. I've, I know people, uh, at the department of defense and crane research lab and all all kinds of places that have referenced my research, which is humbling, uh, honestly. Yeah. But it's, it's good stuff. And I do appreciate that it's all, it is all that. So there's no, there's no brand bias or anything like that. You, you just simply state, and I, I wonder how many, how many companies out there are like, we're not giving you anything, bro? Like, uh, you know, <laughs> you would be surprised. All no of kidding. Them, I, I would say most of them want to give me something. Just for uh, the feedback, I guess, if nothing I else. I literally yesterday turned down free product. Uh, I don't like free product. I won't take free product. Uh, I, I want my readers to be able to trust that the content isn't swayed by my relationship with mm-hmm. this manufacturer, with this person. And so, uh, yeah, I, I don't take free products. Uh, but they'll give you stuff like on loan maybe or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll let me borrow it. I just always want to send it back. Yeah. Uh, or or I, I will at least pay costs for it. They Sometimes they give me a discount for it, but I, 
I don't like taking anything for free, but most people will. And you know what surprised me a couple times is people would send me equipment to test and it would be faulty upon arrival. Wow. Like, or it just didn't perform well at all. And this isn't so, beta stuff, right? This is like no, stuff that's on the market? No. Yeah, like stuff on the market, yeah. Uh, now, I do get to test some cool stuff like that every <laughs> now and then. I don't always write about it, but I've helped develop a few products. Yeah. But, yeah, they'll they, people have sent me rifles that uh, didn't perform at all. And, you know, I actually write about that stuff. Like what I always tell manufacturers is, I am committed to 100% transparency with my readers. And so if something doesn't work, I'm going to say that. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I'm also, you know, I'm in, I'm in business myself and I understand unfair criticism. Yep. So if it, I'm, I'm not out to burn manufacturers, I, I want to give them the opportunity to fix it and make it right. And I will tell how yeah. here, here I told them about this. Here's what they did. And here's, here's what happened after that. But mm-hmm. I'm going to tell the whole story, not just after you fixed it. Yep. Um, I feel like that's a fair thing. And you know, one of the reasons I started the blog is because you go and read a, a magazine and man, they're almost all paid advertisements. You know, I've any never, articles. I've never read a bad review in a magazine. Yeah. You know, it shot if I did my part, <laughs> you know, what the crap? That is the less least objective way to ever say anything. It's not helpful, man. No, it's not. You're not helping people. Well, you're helping the manufacturer, but you're not helping the shooter, the the people reading. And so one one of the awesome things, you know, uh, uh, a magazine might lose an advertiser if they have a bad review like Mm -hmm. that. So I totally get it. I'm I'm a grown up. I understand how that works. Business, right? I don't have any advertisers. And so I can be an idealist and I don't need to do this for my provision. Like I, I actually don't need the money off of it. So I, I can just, I'm just doing it to help shooters. And if I'm not helping shooters, what am I doing here? I'm sure wasting a lot of time. Being, it is, it's tough to be an idealist today. Yeah, that's, it is. That's, but it, that's also like, there's a lot of power that comes from that. Like being able to, to you're able to call your own shots. You're able to do that. That's, that's awesome. Who are some of your favorite manufacturers just based on feedback alone and like the relationships you've built with them? Oh man, I, there, I have so many people in the industry. If I, if I tried to name people, I'm sure I'd forget, but, uh, like th- there's so many people throughout the industry that have been so kind to educate me too, uh, mm-hmm. not just to send me their product, but to help me understand, you know, how optics work. Gosh, that is such a technical field. And I've had people who have literally sp- probably spent, I don't know, 10 plus hours on the phone with me mm-hmm. uh, over a lot of time, just explaining, you know, why, why this design works this way or what the drawbacks are, or, you know, actually that's not how that works. Uh, and yeah, there's a ton of people who, who have educated me. Uh, and I've been impressed, you know, some of the, I I've even done double blind research to where, uh, I had people using equipment that didn't know what brand was what, and neither did I. So me oh, wow. as the, as the person writing down the results and everything, I didn't even know. So I covered up all, all the brands and made it to where you couldn't tell. So, I mean, it's, it's like clinical level research. I want to know what the best is and I don't want to be swayed by the brand. Yeah. And when you do that, you're surprised what, what you find sometimes. Uh, and I'll just say Bushnell yeah. surprises me. Uh, huh. Every test I've ever included them on, uh, it was the highest value product. Like no the kidding. best performance per dollar, hands down. Uh, and most people think of Bushnell as cheap, 
Yeah, like and Walmart. It's it's so funny how our, our brand perception clouds, but their products are amazing. Now I'm not saying they are the best. Yeah, they're the the highest value. So the performance you get per dollar. I can't remember a test I did where they didn't end up where they were one of the things I, I tested and they didn't end up the highest value product. They're like the beaten bow homes of, yeah, of that's optics. true. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, there's lots of companies like that. Savage, I think also is another company mm-hmm. like that. And then there's companies uh, like accuracy international um, mm-hmm. or, or Schmidt Bender that are like a cut no corners. Uh, I think Schmidt Bender, I, I heard, part of their marketing one time was uh, Bushnell will make more scopes in one day than we do in a year. Yeah. But that's not the point. They're una- yeah, <laughs> and and they're, like, okay, they're unapologetic yeah. about it, but like their quality, their product is, yeah, you're not going to find anything else. And near, accuracy near. international is just so serious about real research, real yeah. testing, like uh, what is the best product out there? And that's what we're going to use, you know? Uh, and there's a few companies like that. Thunder beast, they test their suppressors like, crazy uh i wanted to buy a thunder beast so bad man yeah i I went back and like i so i went whenever i went to buy my my suppressor so i i'm one of those people though i i struggle with patience like when my mind's made up i want to buy this i'm gonna go to the store like and i'm gonna go find it and i anyway the long story short i could not find a thunder beast suppressor in stock like Uh. anywhere nowhere uh you should have come to my house. I, I have should've, all of them. Man, I, I know. Like, <laughs> I, I have thought, a lot of them. If I, and if I would have shot one, I'd probably been like, okay, yeah. I'll wait. I ended up going, so according to your blog, I went to, uh, I, I, in, you know, I, Silencer, Silencer Co. Co. Yeah. Yep, the Omega. Uh, and I picked it up uh, last weekend and finally brought it home. I So I've, just from, I, I know what an AR sounds like. Like, a, you, you know, you throw like a, a, a suppressor on a SBR. It's, it's quieter, but it's still... Yeah. incredibly loud uh and i my like i also the gas blowback just i cannot stand it i hate that guy. anyway so i didn't i have never shot a bolt rifle okay. with a suppressor yeah. and so i went out there and uh but i went out there to the range and it blew my mind how quiet yeah that rifle is now yeah it's like and it's i would i would call it hearing it's hearing safe for me maybe i'm deaf but i was i'm hearing safe like i'm i'm okay with that all day long uh but yeah i I'm I'm real happy with that purchase, and I'm also excited because I can, you know, anything, because I can put it on even if, if I buy a seven mag, which is probably what I'm looking at next for like a hunting rifle, like yeah. a purpose built hunting rifle, I can put it on there, correct? Uh, thirty caliber. 30, yeah, sure. I, I use that's what right now in my safe on my seven mag is a thirty caliber suppressor. I need a seven mag, man. Yep. Cisco wants me to go to Africa with him next year. Yep. Or a year after. You should do it. I know. I need to. Let's go, buddy. I would. I would. I will a hundred percent. Like if, if y'all want to do another Africa trip, I'm down. I'm in. I, I like, I probably wouldn't, I like, I could do like two or three animals. Probably what I'm thinking. Yeah. Like I, I probably want to do th- because I, I'm not going to be allowed to put animals up all over the house. It's just yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. But a couple here and there, like I could probably get away with. Yeah. I want to go to Africa. And you know, you can sell those mounts. Can you really? Yeah. It's like come home, put on eBay and get just I'm hundreds sure. of no dollars. Kidding? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it actually would pay for the trophy fee. That actually might be, maybe I'll take more than that. I was only going to yeah. do that because I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. But only the bummer, you can't bring meat back though, correct? No. Uh, but they eat it all there. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, some of the animals, uh, the meat, it sells for more than beef like, and it's better. It, Were you, it's delicious. Yeah. So uh, what did you uh, eat? Do you remember? Uh, yeah. I had uh, kudu and gimsbuck and uh, huh. 
also had an Elan. Uh, I had a few things while I was there. All of it was yummy? Uh, yeah. Was yeah, it wild, amazing. like gamey tasting? Uh, so the Gims Buck was probably uh, a little more gamey tasting. So we we shot it and ate it the same day. And mm-hmm. so that's not always the yeah. best thing. Yeah. Uh, but the other stuff, I would say, no, man, it was, you know, the thing about gamey meat is I don't think I'd ever pick, you know, a, a, a mule deer or, or a whitetail over a ribeye. Mm-hmm. But I would have that uh, the kudu, uh, really the elan. It was delicious, man. Uh, huh. Did they just really cut you off like a flint. Like what they, what was it? Was it just like just pieces of no, backstrap or what? No, where we went, man. Uh, the <laughs> outfitter. Uh, it was uh, John X Safaris, and it was. So the thing about Africa and South Africa in, in particular is, uh, you know, they have this tradition ever since Teddy Roosevelt went over there and went on safaris they really cater to the hunter. So Hmm. it is a very resort like experience. So I'm not saying everywhere does that, but John X definitely did. And, uh, I mean the food, I'm a foodie. Like Mm -hmm. I like going, I I spend money on good restaurants. Uh, I don't drink anymore, but like I will go and spend a hundred dollars on a steak, uh, or, or go to a fine restaurant somewhere when I travel. I, I like doing that. And I'm telling you, this food at at their place, it will hands down beat most places out there. So it was amazing. Is, is it comfortable? Like, is it the kind of place like you could take Davida and she'd be like, okay, yeah, I'm okay Oh, with this. absolutely. I mean, like, it was like, I'm, I'm talking like Ritz Carlton food good. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, she would love it. I, man, the more I hear about this, the more I, I just want to do it. So my, and maybe it doesn't happen next year, but next year, my, I, my original plan was, okay, next year I'm going to do, uh, like a caribou hunt. I, yeah, I, I want to do a caribou, cool. go to Alaska, yeah. do like a drop hunt, but maybe that can wait. Uh, and, you know, and, and maybe yeah. do African said, I don't know. I, I guess I'm down for either man. I'm so the, my philosophy is I'm I, like, you spend money on restaurants. I spent the experience. Yeah. Like these experiences, man, we're, we're really blessed. Like, and we had this huge world that we've been blessed with, right? God like created this incredible place for us. Yep. And it like, I think it's our responsibility to go like, go and explore it and like see all these beautiful things that you just never otherwise would spend yeah. the money, enjoy the experience and you'll have that forever. And you can share it with everybody. Um, yeah, I, I, my bucket list was always hunt red stag in New Zealand. And I got to go to uh gunworks long range university. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I met Aaron Davidson become friends with him. Uh, he's, He's an engineer, uh, so we think a lot alike, but he's the CEO of Gunworks. He, he started that company, and they uh, also do a TV show called uh, Long Range Pursuit. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the only TV shows I could actually watch. They they know what they're doing. But you weren't criticizing yeah. the entire time. That I, I don't yell at the TV. <laughs> My wife is like, why do you even watch that? Uh, yeah, but those guys know what they're doing, and they've traveled all over the world, man. I mean, they've hunted all kinds of crazy stuff. And so I was sitting around, uh, I think at campfire one time with, with Aaron and uh, talking about, you know, I, I would like to go hunt red stag. Uh, do you, do you know anybody, uh, where would be a good place to go? And he said, man, you should go to Africa first. And I said, well, you know, I've been to Africa. I've visited Africa. I've never hunted Africa, but I think, man, I've, I've thought about this. I think I, I, I want to hunt red stag, uh, in New Zealand. <laughs> like, and uh, yeah, anyone who knows me that my, my 
saying of I've thought about this is an understatement. I had uh, <laughs> I had decided. thoroughly made up my mind. I've researched <laughs> this to death. And Aaron, I want to hunt red stag. And he said, Cal, I'm a do-it-yourself hunter. I love hunting. I, I, I didn't want to do a guided hunt. Uh, resisted it for a long time, especially, uh, you know, just a traditional Africa safari. Like that didn't appeal to me at all. He said, but it's the coolest hunt you'll ever go on in your life. And that's why you have to do it first. And I know the best outfitter. You're going to love it. Uh, I guarantee you won't regret it. You should go. And I said, okay, in that moment. And yeah, started planning it and we went. First what? hunt I ever paid for in my life was in Africa. Like I'd never leased land. I mean, I'd never paid for any kind of hunt. So what was like, help me understand the difference between like, like that kind of a hunt, like a South Africa hunt versus, you know, like your uncle's ranch where you're slinging pigs all day. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd always thought the do it yourself way means I'm going to go out on some of my family's land that, you know, might have a few deer on them and I'm going to, I'm going to do the scouting and I'm going to feed protein or I'm going to plant this, uh, little wheat field over mm -hmm. here. I'm going to clear some shooting lanes. I'm going to try to pattern the deer. Like all this work goes into it. Mm -hmm. um, and Africa was very different. And I thought, well, the satisfaction of the hunt yeah, you're is, lose that? is in the, I'm sweating out here in August, you know. Yeah, uh, working on it. Yeah. That's not true at all, man. That is a myth. In fact, uh, I will say the funnest hunt, most rewarding hunt I've ever done in my entire life was in South Africa, hunting kudu. Uh, hunted them for five days, hiked 50 miles, What? looked at a ton of them. It was tough, but the guy, man, my God, uh, his name was sticks and he was so good. He would teach you about the biology of the animal. Okay. Here's why we're looking over here. Do you see this plant? So this plant is what they really like to eat. And so oftentimes you'll see them here and then they'll trap. And he, he would help me spot. It was, it was so different that terrain and the animals, to even find them. And so he was like, not just helping me hunt or find a trophy animal. He was teaching me to hunt and teaching me about the animals and the terrain and, and, you know, tradition of hunting there. It's and an education. It was. And man, you know, I spent seven days with him in a truck all day. Mm -hmm. And in fact, in the mornings when I woke up and everything and gosh, I would love to go do that again. I don't say that lightly. Like, uh, uh, there's probably not a lot of people I would love to go spend seven <laughs> days with without getting annoyed, but, uh, it was just such a fun experience. And he pushed me physically like he was in amazing shape, but, uh, he, he would be gracious at times to let me catch my breath, but not yep. too long. And we'd, yep. we'd go again and it was a hard hunt, man. Uh, that, that was, that was earned. And there wasn't the do it yourself part that I thought you had to do to have that satisfaction, uh, at the end man, that's just not true. Hmm. Now I'm sure there's some can hunts out there that I would not appreciate like at all. Like a high fence or something like that. Yeah. And they even had high fence. Uh, but I think their high fence was very different than Texas. You know, Texas, it might be a thousand acres in yeah. a high fence. Yeah. Uh, their high fence, I think one of them was like 27,000 acres. So you're going to, you're going to work for you. Yeah. You don't know where the animal is. <laughs> it was, that's just to do game management from yeah. the adjacent ranches, you know, uh, I think one of them was like 80,000 acre ranch Good grief. and it wasn't subdivided like just free roam. Yeah. In fact, the Gimsbuck was free, free range, like low fence. Actually they don't jump fences. They run through fences. I Did got they to really? see that. Yeah. 
tough animals. Tough animals. How big are they? Uh, like what's a is it a bull? Yeah, uh, but the females uh, can be just as big. Uh, okay. In fact, their antlers are a little thinner or horns. I don't know which mm-hmm. one they are, uh, but they're a little longer. Oh. Uh, yeah, really tough animal. That would be that would be super cool. Africa's it, it's quickly risen to the top of my okay. I'm I'm I need to look a little bit closer. Yeah. this. maybe maybe we need to have a talk. Yeah, we, we just, after Aaron. We, uh, he convinced me, man. And it was, and I want to go back. I thought I'll do this once and then I'll, I'll you know, next time I'll, I'll go hunt the red stag or mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go hunt, uh, some kind of sheep up in, uh, the mountains, but which would also be great. I think I'd go back to Africa. <laughs> if you're in, man, I'm in. I, uh, I would a hundred percent. I commit right now. Like if we would if you go to Africa, I'm, I'm in, I, I would a hundred percent do that. I, like I said, it's, and it's like I said, we're young. Uh, it's now's the time to do it. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd much rather do it now whenever, and, and, like we're in relatively decent shape and, and that, like, I, I don't, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they do have pickups to help load up the animals and, uh, the whole experience, man, it was just amazing. Well, how long did it take you to get your mounts back whenever you, whenever you got back? Uh, it was about a year. Did it really take that long? Yeah. I think it was about 13 months. Okay. Man, that's talking about patience. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I did get it done over there and they did an awesome job. Uh, some people get, get them, uh, dipped and packed and shipped back to the U S uh, but I had a great like experience. Like the tax here? Yeah. 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 I had a great experience there. In fact, I found a taxidermist that honestly worked a lot like our home building company. Um, Help me understand. Yeah. So, you know, we, we are very production oriented, but at, at the same time, try to let people customize it. So they, they do the same thing. They have a, it, the whole factory uh, is kind of set up like a production line. Mm-hmm. In fact, we got to walk around it, uh, but they still allow customization. So I, I could, all of their forms, uh, they're not duplicated. All of them are handmade. And if I wanted this animal looking at seven degrees to the left or eight degrees to the left or 12.5 degrees or 27 degrees, mm-hmm. like I could just specify, I want their head down a little bit. Hmm. I mean, and they're re- trying to recreate that animal. So they, they custom, uh, shape, uh, each one, it is crazy. The amount of detail they go into, they even, uh, so, you know, we have an experienced specialist that through the construction process proactively reaches out to the home buyer, sends them picture updates or, Hey, yep. just wanted to let you know your granite went in today. Yeah. They had the same thing No kidding. Uh, for the taxidermy process, like through the process, through that year long process, Somebody would proactively reach out to me and say, Hey, just wanted to let you know, uh, we just got everything back from the tanners. So here's the next step. And, uh, yeah, sent me pictures at one point. Uh, I, I didn't measure anything, uh, like I didn't measure how big my animals were mm-hmm. like trophy. Uh, but some people were asking me when I got back. And so I just emailed them and I said, Hey, could you, would you mind measuring the, the, how big that mm-hmm. kudu was? And they had a professional, uh, like certified score actually go and score all of my animals and send me the scores. That and I was like, service. wow, okay. That's not what I asked, but that's <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, uh, it sounds like a, but just like anything, you, it seems like you leave the U S customer service, like takes just, it's the next level. Yeah. I've never been to any country that where I've been treated poorly. Yeah. Or and I, I think me? this was, uh, splitting image taxidermy the guy that leads that i talked to him for a little while and you could just see how passionate he was about the business and not just the business but providing 
exceptional service, like not just service that's better than their locally, but nowhere in the world. They custom make crates. So every one of, of, you know, I had, I had several animals, some random combination of animals They were all different sizes and I got, you know, uh, you know, them mounted different ways Mm -hmm. and they custom make crates. That was kind of the coolest part of the factory is how they custom make crates around the animals and secure them to the inside of it. Cause you're going to ship this thing, you know, just so they're not damaged in shipment. Uh, it, it was, it was really pretty cool. How long did it take you to unpack your, your mounts? Uh, you know, probably an hour and oh, a half. Not bad. Okay. Yeah. Are they at your house? Uh, no. Uh, so I have four at my house, mm-hmm. all, all Europeans at the house. And then I have three, uh, shoulder mounts up at the office. Okay. That's, I, I remember the ones in your office too. Yeah. Well, cool, man. So Africa sounds like a winner. Definitely gonna have to look into that. Speaking of hunt. So this year, your, your big hunt this year is an elk hunt. Yeah. I never hunted elk in my life. Why uh, elk? You know, the guy who taught me how to reload and the guy who taught me how to hunt, uh, he actually, uh, I think he's turning 98 next week. Um, he taught me everything about reloading and rifles and bedding. And he, he was, he was a rifle shooter. I always heard him talk about hunting elk mm-hmm. uh, when he was a kid and, and even as an adult and he loved it. And there's something majestic about an elk, uh, Kudu is my, is my favorite animal period. Uh, I think they're the most majestic looking animal with the, you know, the, the swirling horns and, uh, they're enormous. They're beautiful animals. And honestly, elk are kind of similar in that way. And the bugle, the, everything about an elk is just pretty majestic. So, uh, I also decided to go to Idaho <laughs> I, I've never been to Idaho. I've had a lot potatoes. of friends, a lot of friends hunt elk in New Mexico or maybe Southern Colorado. I've been the, to those places. So mm-hmm. I thought, man, I think part of why I liked Africa so much was you're in a kind of a foreign context. So it's not just you're experiencing the animal. It's, it's, you're experiencing lots of new stuff. Uh, and so I thought maybe going to Idaho, uh, I think we're, we're just west of the Grand Tetons. You'll be able to see them from kind of the area we're hunting. So it sounds pretty epic. Who's the outfitter who you're using? Broadmouth Canyon. Broadmouth Canyon? Yeah. So is this a is this going to be like the, is this full service or is this like drop hunt? What is it going to look no, like? No, I think full service, uh, guided guided hunt. Uh, yeah. And uh, what's funny is uh, Rick Beatenbow is going to go with me. <laughs> so uh, he's never hunted. Uh, what? Uh well, I take that back. I took him coyote hunting one time and it was a disaster. Uh, wait, wait, tell me about the disaster. Before yeah. you go this. Help me under, help. Let's, let's hear the story on, on when was this? Oh, uh, this was probably, uh, seven, eight years ago. Uh, oh, gosh. and I love calling coyotes. Yeah. Uh, I love calling them during the day, especially cause yeah. you can see the animal react to the call. You can yeah. see them coming, coming in. in. Uh, and I'm a long range guy. That's mm-hmm. actually how I got into long range was yep. I wanted to ethically shoot coyotes, you know, 600, 800 yards out. I, well, I was hoping 400. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So my, my ambition was a little lower. Uh, but anyway, me and Rick, I, I talked him into going with me one time. Uh, and we went, uh, down to Ackerley where I, I grew up and mm-hmm. I have permission to hunt on a ton of land down there. And so we were just planning to go from one spot to the next. And, and when you do a stand, so, so 
you go to a spot and you call, mm-hmm. uh, you know, coyotes. Usually if something doesn't come at, in after, after 15, 20 minutes, you just not going to, yeah, go somewhere else and try it again. Mm-hmm. And so we went to the first place and nothing came in. And so Rick, I, I guess, was doubting anything would ever come in. So the second place we went and did a stand, you know, we were calling for probably five minutes and I saw a coyote, uh, is probably 600 yards away. And I saw mm-hmm. him kind of, uh, circling around, yeah, down cir- cir- circling around, but getting closer too. So I was keeping my eye on him. And so it, it took a, a few minutes for him, him to start getting closer. And Rick was probably 30 yards away from me. He, he was set up on, a little berm looking another direction. And, uh, I heard him say, there's one right there. And I mean, he wasn't really even whispering it. And I was, I was looking, I turned and looked at him and I was like, where is he looking? And he, he was just kind of looking down at the grass. I was like, what is going on over there? So I started walking towards him and there was a cow like 10 yards away <laughs> staring at him, just peeking out behind the grass and when, when he saw me come around the corner, you know, hey, that coyote, yeah, but I mean, he was just standing there with his rifle in his hand and a pistol on his belt. I was like, shoot it. What are you Why doing? He, what did he, did he freeze? What did he yeah, say? He, he just said, man, I didn't even know what to do. I could tell what color his <laughs> eyes were. I was like, yeah, you're pretty close. That's what, that's what we were trying to hunt out here, man. We're, that's hilarious. Poor Rick. Yeah. So that was, a, so he hadn't gone since. Yeah. So you were wait, like, wait, wait. Like, he, hey. he did go, he did go, uh, on a hog hunt with, uh, uh, Kelly Oaks and Chris Berry and a few other people, but they didn't see any in the first, uh, 30, 45 minutes. So uh-huh. he just started firing his gun cause he, <laughs> he has his gun that he wanted to use. And so, uh, yeah, he's never shot at an animal. So. so you say, hey, Rick, let's do an elk hunt. Did he give you like the eyebrows? Yeah. Like, No, he was all in for he it. He didn't remind you of, of of the coyote catastrophe? No, I didn't remind him of it either. <laughs> uh, what if what if an elk gets up to like 10 yards in front of him and he freezes up again? He's yeah. like, no. Yeah, Ho- hopefully that's not going to happen. I think an elk- Rick, if you're listening to this, like, yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Like, seriously. No, he'll, he'll be able to do it. Uh, I think he, he always, you know, said, man, it'd be really cool to go hunt. You know, like I had talked about red stag and, yeah. and just how pretty it is in New Zealand and these huge canyons and uh, the idea of, of of hunting an animal and shooting cross canyon and all kinds of stuff uh, was all, always seemed fun to him. So I said, man, let's do it. Yeah. So yeah, him and uh, several other guys from, from work that I'm friends with, we're all going to do it. That's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm excited for you guys and the whole, you know, elk is delicious. Yeah. Uh, you're absolutely. bringing, you're going to be, I mean, you get a nice bull. You're looking at like what? Five or 600 pounds of meat, something like that. I have no idea. I've never hunted elk. Yeah. So you're telling me. Yeah, dude, like five to 600 pounds of meat, I think is, is what you're going to be getting off of a bull. Yeah. That's a lot. That's, that's a couple of freezers. It is delicious. My friend Obadiah, he, he's, yeah. he's brought some back for me before. And I totally agree. Like elk is one of those things I, I would happily eat. I definitely want my freezer. It's it's I, I could almost I would say that elk is a, is an actual substitute for beef. Yep, a hundred percent. Or without a, mixing import. Yeah. pork in or yeah, uh, usually on on whitetail, especially uh, bucks. Uh, I usually mix in some pork, pork and I get it processed uh, just to not make it so lean. But yeah. with elk, you don't have to do that. No, I do the same thing. Uh, duck and geese they they get mixed up with like fifty fifty pork at the end of the year and just turn okay. into sausage. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm I'm with you on that. That sounds way better. Well, that that should be a good time. 
Never been to Idaho. Uh, sometimes you forget that Idaho even has elevation. Yeah. That kind of surprises me a little bit sometimes, I think. Yeah, it looks pretty steep from the pictures I've seen. The The place we're going looks pretty picturesque, like the, the lodge and the mountains and uh, pine and Grand Tetons. What time of the year are you going? November, first week of November. When's opening day for Elk there? Do you have any idea? Isn't it like September? Earlier. I think, yeah, we're we're late in the season. Uh, huh. Does yeah. that not, does that not worry you, or you being a little bit late in the season? Not so much? I hope not. I don't, <laughs> I don't probably know enough to, to be worried. Uh, I mean, your outfitter should, they'll get you yeah, something. Yeah. That's, that's what they said. I, I talked to him about that and there was a few dates we looked at, but, uh, Really, with how late we we booked it, uh, this was the one date that works for all of our calendars, and the outfitter said shouldn't be a problem. We uh, what so as far as what are you gonna be looking at for like weather and conditions and things like that? Great question. Is uh, it like I would figure there's gonna be some snow yeah, on the ground? Yep. Uh, that time of year, there probably is gonna be, um, especially their Idaho location. They have a, a Utah location too, I think, and uh, but their Idaho location, yeah. I think you're going to, you're going to have some snow on the ground and it might be warm, uh, or warmish, mm-hmm. uh, or it might be freezing. So you're going to, you're going to sponsor some, uh, Sitka their, their winter line yeah, this year. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> the layering, uh, you know, I didn't wear Sitka gear until I went to Africa and Man, I, it's a game changer. I, I stayed in Kenya. I was on one of our mission trips. I, I was in Kenya for two weeks. And then I met up with one of our friends, Corey Cisco, in South Africa. And so I, and we stayed there for 10 days or something. We hunted a solid seven days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was in Africa for like three weeks or something. And, but we were limited on baggage to take to Kenya. Yep. And so I had to think through all my, cause not only was I bringing clothes for that, I was, I needed to bring all my hunting gear and, yep. and you know, binoculars and, and all kinds of the camouflage and, yeah. and jackets. And, you know, uh, so I had to rethink all of that. And I ended up going to a layering system, Sitka's layering system. And I had three pieces of like, uh, I had a little pullover, their, uh, mid zip fleece, uh, a vest mm-hmm. and then a lot jacket. Mm-hmm. And it was so awesome. Like perfect. some combination of those three was perfect every moment, you know? That's the beauty. Layering is a game changer for sure. And they've got layering down really well. Um, I And that's what pretty much I hunt with is for, and I've got for like waterfowl and whitetail. Uh, and, and you're right. You buy a couple of pieces that are flexible. And if you layer properly, you really don't have any, sometimes you might be a little bit like it might be a little bit too warm or a little bit too cool. Yeah. But you can generally find like you're going to be comfortable. You're, yep. you're not going to die from, you know, exposure or anything. And with the three pieces I brought, you know, that that uh, thermal pullover and, and the vest and then that light jacket, really those all three packed down to the size of one coat. Mm-hmm. But when I put it on, it was just as warm as a coat. But so it wasn't any bigger. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really ideal. Uh, and I'd, I'd always worn Walmart camouflage, yeah. you know, before that, or, uh, Academy or, or sporting goods store here locally. And, uh, just whatever was cheapest and wow, that is very different. You know, they, I think they say turning clothing into gear turning and clothing into gear. When I read that first, I was like, that's a stupid tagline. And then you wear it and you're like, okay, you know, they have magnets. <laughs> that is 
ingenious uh you know the, and like the, my favorite one is i love the little like the is, is it leather like the strip they put on your pocket for your pocket yeah. knife so that you don't yep. rip them apart yep who like i wish i had my, my work pants had that you know man they're yeah they i've i regret nothing i bought from sitka and i will continue to buy nothing what all what, what else are you gonna have to pick up are you gonna have to pick up like some like some outer some good outer like uh, i guess or, i did get some boots uh yeah some i some heavier duty. Yeah. I actually don't even have hiking boots. When I, when I shoot matches, I use uh Solomon, uh, their mm-hmm. mid, mid soles and they're, they're a, a good outdoor trekking shoe, mm-hmm. but probably non snow. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to be good. So no. I, I bought a heavier duty hiking boot and, uh, yeah. Steven Ranilla. He's, he's always the guy I turn to for, for hunting stuff. He's a serious hunter that isn't kind of into the gimmicky stuff. So, yep. I think I ended up buying whatever boots he wore. He's also got a pretty good TV show. Yeah. <laughs> and a podcast. So so those are those are my two hunting shows that I watch. <laughs> Long Range Pursuit and, and Meat Eater. And those are the only two I can watch without yelling at the TV. You can't go wrong. His that's good. And his his podcast is also really good. Yeah, and he's a great writer. Yeah. Uh I I I really appreciate his approach uh on the TV show, but also in his writing. Yeah. He seems like and actually just seems like a, a decent all around guy. Yep. You know, he's come here to Lubbock to crane hunt. hunt. Uh, yeah. Sand was it crane? crane? Yeah. I think the episode was called the ribeye of the sky. The ribeye in the sky. Yep. Yeah. No, I don't believe that. No, no he, it is not the was, ribeye of the sky. <laughs> you, I don't know why you don't like it. So I actually love crane. I think crane's yummy. Okay. Are you going to call it the ribeye of the sky? I'm not going to call it the ribeye no. in the sky. I'm going to call it like flank steak in the sky. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll go with flank steak. I, I'm never going to pick crane over a ribeye. No, I never would either. I don't blame you, but it's not bad. We made fajitas with it. Yeah. It was pretty decent. Yeah, I, for sure. I did it again. Well, cool, man. So moving kind of on a little bit. So work, I'd like to talk a little bit. You are in a really cool, unique position because you're, you're, you're a leader in a pretty big organization and we just do things differently. And I, I wish that I could talk more about this just because and I wish I had more to follow him because you could like the message that we our, our culture is so much different than anything else out there and the way that like you make decisions and, and everything and like how it all kind of comes together. Uh, just tell me a little bit about what it is you do and, and why you enjoy working for, for the company that we work for and, and what makes it a little bit different. What are your thoughts on all that? Yeah. Uh, I know it's a broad open question, but I, I want to give you the flexibility to kind of talk to it. However yeah, you, want. you bet. Uh, so the company we work for is called Beaten Bow Homes, and we build uh, uh, over a thousand homes a year in West Texas. Kind of a regional builder, we build in uh, four different cities across West Texas, and uh, I think we'll close a, a little over thirteen hundred homes this year, all single family, all brick homes. Um, and we are specifically focused on first time and, and move up buyers, uh, a high value home. In fact, all of our homes have move in equity. Uh, mm-hmm. We could we could sell them for more. Uh, the customer could sell them for more the day they close, um, which is a cool thing. And I love building homes. I, I love construction. I love being out in the field. I actually love every aspect of it. Even the business part uh, is a lot of fun. I feel like in our company, we try a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, which, which makes it fun. <laughs> Not all of it works, but I, I think uh, no telling how many times a week I say, hold my beer. I'm going to try something, <laughs> you know, uh, and we're willing to try stuff. Now I also feel like we have the humility to admit when something isn't working, which is a key there. Yeah. Uh, but we do approach a lot of things differently, uh, in the construction field, but also in terms of leadership, 
and honestly, the underlying purpose of the organization. So when I joined, I, I've been working there for 14 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been the president of the company for the past uh, four. Mm-hmm. And when I started, I was a programmer. Yeah. So it was yeah, just a it still job. blows my mind. Yeah. Software developer. <laughs> I helped develop a lot of the internal systems and stuff, but uh, I started getting really, really passionate about the ministry side of our business, which might sound funny, uh, mm-hmm. but we, we gave to a lot of organizations, millions. I think we've given away like over 35 million or something like that. I don't even know because now I consider that such a small part of what God has called us to. Yeah. It, it's still a part of it, but also this has been a progressive thing that over the past, you know, 14 years, all of us, including the founders have, have really started to understand. I usually just say, uh, the kingdom of God broke out in our business Mm -hmm. and, uh, that might sound funny to a lot of people, but it, what it, what it means is I, I believe when Jesus walked the earth, he, he had a certain way of doing things. And it wasn't that he expected us to apply this stuff, you know, in our personal life when we're at home or on the weekends or on Sunday, all the examples he used, lots of them were everyday life. The kingdom of heaven is like a a master who was going away on a journey. And he said to his servants, you know, he, he just, he he draws lessons from, from farmers and, and the city and, you know, I don't think he ever meant for us to confine it to just our personal life, but yep. for it to affect how we work. Mm-hmm. And for us, uh, there's so many people that feel like they need to leave that stuff at home and they, they can't be the same person at work as they can be out of work. And I think that's a myth. I, I'm, I'm free to be whoever I am. Now that doesn't mean I can use my beliefs to oppress other people. I, I don't want to do that. Jesus didn't do that but it doesn't mean I should be less of who I am. And so I think over time we learned, uh, you know, it's not just ministry to, for our business, we'll make money and then we'll give, we'll give money to nonprofits and and they'll, they'll, they'll do the ministry over there. But, you know, at at some point God convicted us that, man, you have actually hundreds of people working here. Mm What do they know of my love and, and my goodness? And, uh, you know, I think it was at that point that we realized we have not just a responsibility to fund ministry somewhere else, but we have a personal responsibility to caring for the people who are around us um, and being intentional with that and, Mm -hmm. and, and trying to help those people grow and develop. And it's not about trying to get conversions or, or trying to force something on people. It's about genuinely caring for them. And wanting to know what's going on in their life, even outside of work and, and genuinely wanting them to stand up and who God created them to be. And, uh, they might sound like an infomercial, but that plays out in really practical ways. It's actually mind blowing. So if, if you try to explain this to somebody, they're going to look at you like you're a crazy person and go like, that's impossible. I still get that a lot. And then they, and then you just invite them to the office and they spend two days in the office and they're like, Oh Yeah. So it's, it's not a cult. Like you guys are just like regular people. And like, this actually does work and like people, what? Like God is actually welcome here. And like, no one feels forced or coerced or anything else. 
it's, and even me, I, I came from way different background, uh, but I didn't understand how that would play out in the workplace. Even the day I was hired, I, I went to work like, is this going to work? Like, and no, it was totally fine. Yeah. And like, and, and it does like you, you just go in like with open mind and it, it grows on you. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's not a bunch of super holy people either. Uh, no, no one there is perfect or pretends to be yeah. like not only in like their personal life, even at work, like it's okay. Like, and we, and during orientations, I tell people like, Hey, it's totally okay to screw up. Like no one expects you to be perfect. Oh yeah. I've, I've made million dollar mistakes <laughs> and they haven't fired me yet. No, the uh, important thing is that you like had the humility to learn from it and yeah. go, well, what happened was, and then like you just learn from it and move on. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, yeah. it's an interesting culture. Uh, and you know this, but your listeners probably don't like my, my background. Uh, I came a very different <laughs> person. So I always say the Lord uh, gave me a very colorful testimony and he yep. saved me from a lot. So before, before I joined the organization, honestly, I was drug addict and alcoholic and, uh, I'd been sober for about two years when I started working at Beaten Bow Homes and um, was still trying to figure out who I was. And, you know, I feel like people there saw me. Um, they saw my strengths and my weaknesses and they still loved me in the midst of it and they still believed in me. And I actually feel like they called out things in me that I didn't even know were, was there. Gifts inside of me that I didn't, I didn't realize I had that in me. And mm -hmm. oftentimes, you know, Rick would say, Hey man, I think, I think you can do this. And I'd say, man, I don't know. Mm -hmm. You you really think so is actually in those moments where he helped give me the confidence. He was right. I did have it in me and he saw it before I saw it. And he cared about me enough to give me opportunities and to have those conversations to help draw it out. And I'll just say that has shaped me more professionally, personally, and even spiritually than anything else in my life. And it's evident in the leadership. So I do, that's one of the big things I do love about our, 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 our company is, so the lesson you just gave there uh, is in our leaders, our tasks, it's, it's not, it's not a suggestion. Yeah. Our leaders, our tasks, like your job is to, is to know your people, Yep. Find out what they're good at. Find out what their strengths are. Find out where they're, where they're struggling at, and invest the time. Find this, you know, give them the resources and the time and the mentoring and or whatever it is they need yep. to become better. Yep. Intentionally, it, it's it's tasked. Find me another place that does that that does it well. I'll, I'll say that other people. Yeah. I think there's a lot of companies that that do that, and I'm using quotes, guys, but like that does it well. That actually and that does it consistently. Yeah. Well, we're committed to it. We don't always uh, do it perfectly for sure, but we're committed to it. And there's enough of us that are committed to it that on the days where I'm really crappy at it or I forget somebody and I think we're building homes here, somebody will walk up to me and go, hey, buddy, <laughs> grab me by the shoulders and shake me and go, hey, remember what we're doing here? And I'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like there's a critical mass of people who are all on this same mission this same, uh, motivated by the same purpose, uh, we say to reveal God and his kingdom through our work in the marketplace. That's our purpose. Yep. Uh, so it, it's, you know, there's a funny thing. There's this Hebrew word called avodah and, uh, it, it simultaneously means work, worship, and service. And so the Hebrew language is, is the language of God's people. God, God, 
built a Hebrew people out of a man named Abraham. And it was the language of, of his chosen nation. And it's interesting that we have three words to describe that thing that they only needed one because they didn't see it as separate. We've made distinctions. And when we say worship, we think of, uh, you know, what well, we're going to go to a church and sing a song with a guitar or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not what they would have thought of. In fact, uh, in Genesis, it said, you know, uh, the Lord took man and put him in the garden to work it. That word is avodah, uh, work it, till it. it. It's like manual labor. Um, but then, uh, you know, in Exodus, when Moses is talking to Pharaoh, he says, uh, let my people go so they can go out into the desert uh, and, and worship me. That's what the mm-hmm. Lord said. The word there, avodah, is it worship me or, or work for me? And then same, same. Joshua uh, you know, later he says, as as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Avadah, same word. So is it work unto the Lord or worship the Lord or is it serve the Lord? And translators translate it based on what they think they meant. And you know, context yeah. and everything else. But really, even, even the tabernacle, so the Lord's cloud would come down. Uh, when his presence was on the tabernacle, it, it said that the uh, Israelites would come to the, the entrance of their tent and worship. Or was it work? Were they whittling something or they were they were quilting? You, you don't know. It, because to them, it was the same. And and I think what I've learned is that our work matters immensely to the Lord. It's not secular skills, not even programming or, or leading a home building company or or accounting. Like it, you can do it in a way that it is worshiping to the Lord. The Lord cares about your work. And I feel like that's that's a message that we've missed that has been stolen away that somehow you know, the work of a pastor is somehow more important. And man, there's nowhere in scripture that supports that yeah. anywhere that to the Lord, Rick sometimes says the Lord, he could see him sitting up in heaven and like, there's this pleasing aroma to him. And, uh, the angels might say, Oh, that's your people down there worshiping. And the, and the Lord applies to them or are they working? Because to me, it smells the same, you know, and you can just do it in a way, and 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 this might sound like pie in the sky, but there's a way to do pricing that honors the Lord and honors the people. There, mm-hmm. There's a way to lead people that embodies the kingdom principles that Jesus taught, and it's in really practical ways, and it isn't religion. Like <laughs> me and Rick are probably the ones that hate religion more than anybody. I grew up oppressed by religion mm-hmm. and ran away from it, man, mm-hmm. and wanted nothing to do with it. I grew up in a church of Christ, bro. Yeah. Me too, uh, my yeah. friend. <laughs> me too. So we, I, I appreciate my upbringing. I mm-hmm. learned a oh, lot can, about God. We can do scripture God. all day. Yeah. <laughs> and, the God, and God has redeemed that. Mm-hmm. I, I knew a, a lot about God. I can't say that I knew God. And Same. I didn't know his voice. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know a lot of things. I didn't have a relationship with him. And it's just very different. Having a relationship with God is not religion. And, and inviting him into your work and saying, Lord, what do you think about this land deal we're looking at? Like, Or, Lord, will you help me think through how this process should work? Or, or what should we do in this situation with this homeowner? And uh, how about this employee that, you know, is this the right role? Uh, I'm trying to hire somebody. And I actually, I'm, I'm asking the Lord every day, help me here. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want to make the wrong call, but I believe you have somebody handpicked 
for this role. They might be a believer or might not be, but I believe you have somebody in mind. So help me recognize them Mm -hmm. when they come to us. Yep. Now I'll just say inviting God into your work will lead you to some crazy places. (laughs) You'll, you'll find yourself in conversations uh, that are a little different. It's a lot cleaner when you say, Hey, you know, just leave your personal stuff at the door and I need you to be professional. So much cleaner, isn't it? Yeah. You just find yourself in some interesting conversations, but I also feel like this approach I've seen have such an impact on people and it's had an impact on me. In fact, that's, that's the number one reason I want to grow that, that I want to grow the company is I want more people to be able to join into an organization and experience what I have to feel truly cared for, not just for what you can do for the company to, but for somebody to know your family and to know what you're struggling with and to speak life into you, man, it it is a crazy adventure. And I do believe God brings people together. I recently, there's some changes in our organization. I'm leading a couple of people that I I wasn't before. (laughs) And you are, how is, how is that? Amazing. (laughs) You know what the Lord does is there are things that I've struggled with that uh, I'm uniquely qualified to help them with. Like what? Man, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and I, I don't want to go into the details, no, too, too personal details, but I sure. mean, struggles me and my wife have had. Yeah. Struggles with my own ambition. Yeah. Struggles with trying to perform. So hopefully you'll be accepted or valued. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Oh, and that has nothing to do with their role. It has nothing to do with work, period. Like, <laughs> nope. But that's what the Lord's calling asked me, you to do. Yeah, to help them with. And I'm not an expert in it, but I, I do have a testimony and some scars, and I, I do see the pain it creates. And more than helping them with their job or helping them help us earn a profit or something, my goal is to help them with those things. And, and I bet you, if they feel cared for and, and like, more whole because I'm, I'm able to help them with those things that they will be great at their job too. Yeah. It frees them up to do it. It's amazing that whenever you are, are comfortable with your own life at home, when you're comfortable with your personal life, how much freedom that gives you to operate at work, you're able to focus on work. You're not worried about this going on at home or that or this, or am I good enough? Or all these things you're able to focus like, and have the confidence to go, man, I, I can be a real, like I can make a contribution here. Yeah. I can make a difference. Yeah. And lots of people don't want to, we we don't try to like be people's counselors, but they don't want to get into the messiness of people's lives. They just want to keep it professional. And it's a lot easier when you do that, by the way. Uh, I believe leading this way is the hardest way to lead. It is very emotional. It's like you're exposing your heart constantly, uh, but it also makes a lasting impact. But I also think people who say, you know, you need, you need to leave your personal stuff at the door and you can't do that, man. I think it's fear. Nobody can do it. No, nobody can be somebody different. If there's something bad going on at home or, you know, you're having a fight with your mom or, or your dog just died or, you know, one of your kids is sick at home, man, you can't forget that stuff while no, you're at it work. comes to work with you. Yeah. And so let's just acknowledge that. And <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It is. It's okay. And most people in business are, yeah, like you said, are, are fearful of 
I, I don't know what to do with that. Or come on, uh, let's just make some profit around here. Uh, profit's fleeting, man. It, it's not, you know, I have a friend that he has the best analogy. He said, uh, you know, you have to breathe to live, right? But if your purpose in life is breathing, that's a pretty wasted life. And in business, you need to make a profit to continue. Mm -hmm. And if you want to put that to a test, stop making profit and see how long it lasts, you know? <laughs> and profit isn't evil. We're, we're not a nonprofit. We're a for-profit company. But profit doesn't have to be the purpose. You know, just like breathing isn't my purpose in life. You need it, but it doesn't have to be your sole focus. You can, you can have another focus and still the profit. In fact, the Lord says in scripture, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and, uh, you know, all this other stuff will be added to you. And he means that. Yeah. Like that's the craziest thing is he means that everywhere in your personal life, in your business, uh, in, in your hobbies, this, this Everything. domino effect changes how I think about who I invite to go hunting. You yep. know, the conversations I have in the truck. Yeah. And anybody who does not believe that, like that, that if you, you seek God first and you are rewarded, they just need to come look, come look. Yeah. That's what I always tell people. <laughs> uh, in fact, we do conferences. Uh, we, yeah. We're not in the conference business. We lose money on every single one <laughs> we, of them. But uh, <laughs> part of it is to have people at our office and let them poke it yeah, and, the, and the, just go the, ask people. What's the program called? Uh, Kingdom at Work. Kingdom at Work. And they do yeah. also... Shout out. They do have a podcast. Yeah. Kingdomatwork.com. Uh, and basically we don't have it all figured out, but we do. God has broken out in the middle of our business and we have a testimony about what he's been doing amidst very broken, imperfect people, including me. I always think of it as a divine comedy that the Lord would take a recovering drug addict to lead a ministry like this and, and, and to try to do business differently but he's in charge. So he, he made that call. I didn't pursue this job. Yep. Who are you to question that? Right. Yep. yep. That's awesome, man. What's been your biggest takeaway as a, like, cause you've been in, in this leadership position for four years, big responsibility. You've probably seen and, and done a lot. What's been your biggest takeaway that maybe you could share with other leaders? Like what, what, what advice can you give to other leaders or what, what have you learned most? What's been the most, the thing that really stands Gosh, out to you? That's a great question. You know, I would say, to not try to do it in my own strength. What do you uh, mean? So I am a doer. I am a door kicker. I am a guy that makes it happen. Mm -hmm. Like, let's stop talking about it. I'm just going to do it. I believe in this role, the Lord's teaching me to do it differently. You know, there's a scripture that says, not by power or might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And uh, I am not equipped to do this job well. Mm -hmm. I'm a software developer running... $250 million company and trying to do it in a way that is radically different. If I try to do this in my own strength, I'm going to drive it into the ground very quickly. Yeah. And I believe, you know, while I don't, I don't like some of the consequences of, of my past, I do believe it was a gift from the Lord to, to see what this looks like when I'm in control and when I'm driving the process and it's just a train wreck, man, before I met Jesus, my life was a mess. Yeah. Everybody around me had mess on them too. And I've learned it's not about me. It's more about partly including other people. So it's not about me making a decision or, or me trying to come up with a plan or me trying to make 
something better, but me trying to invite other people to weigh in on things and me trying to empower other people to make decisions. And, and, but even more than that, it's, it's about me asking the Lord what he would have us do. Mm-hmm. And that is such a vulnerable position to be in there. There's times that that comes down to really practical business decisions where I feel like God gave us peace or, or not to buy this property or to hire this person or to make this move into this other community or, or to uh, have, have, have a partnership with them over here. I believe the God of the universe holds the keys to all wisdom, including home building, including mm-hmm. running a business. And he wants, he wants to reveal himself to people. He desires that and how he typically does that is through other people. Yep. And so he's doing that through a home building business of all things. Uh, and to me, it's, it's not, he's doing it, you know, he's asking me to do all these things for this end result. He's doing it for me. Like he, he's actually freeing me of this burden. It like, I actually think if I tried to carry the weight of this, it would crush me. Yeah. And I also wouldn't do it well. That's just flat out the truth. But you, yeah. It, this job, uh, I usually say, just drives me to my knees a lot. It drives me to the end of myself. And so I end up saying, Lord, I don't know what to do here. I'm going to screw this up if you don't show up. So what what do you have to say about this? Mm-hmm. And, and I will say that's been the biggest change for me in this new role, maybe biggest change for me in my life. Of uh, I, I do believe the Lord wants to give us insight. Now he, he rarely lays out the full plan and I hate that. You kind of get uh, bits and pieces. I, I want to know step <laughs> one, two, three, four, five. I want to know because the alternate you, route. Like step and, three. Yeah. 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 The there, there's scripture that says, you know, your, your words like a, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And, you know, I actually have, when I was in Israel uh, last year, I bought actually earlier this year, I bought a little candle actually from the time of Jesus and it is tiny, tiny. Like when he says uh, your words like a light to my feet and a lamp to my path, he doesn't mean a spotlight to where you can see 200 feet ahead. He means you can see one to two steps ahead. Yikes. And that's what it feels like a lot of days. <clears throat> and will you trust him anyway? That's, I feel like he's growing my faith. This is, and this is just one of those things I, I do love about our company. So you would, and, and you would say, I guess, to other leaders who are, you know, uh, your bottom line here is your main point is like, just don't try to do it yourself. Like you're, you're not going to be able to do it yourself. You have people around you. Yeah. You, and, and if you're, if you're somebody who is of faith, like you have that as well, yep. you don't have to do everything alone and you shouldn't do everything. You shouldn't do things in isolation, right? We're, yep. we're not meant to be, we're not meant to do that anyway. I, I think really two points. You should invite the Lord to lead you and you should invite others to lead with you. You shouldn't try to do it alone. I get so much feedback mm-hmm. uh, and I, I, I love that. I've, I've learned to appreciate people with different perspectives that challenge my point of view because that makes us better. And honestly, what I've, I've learned is God usually doesn't give me the full plan. In fact, I can't remember a time he gave me the full plan. He might give me bits and pieces of it, but then it's my job to invite other people to help flesh that out. And that's he gives, how he, maybe he gives them some of the plan too. Yep. And he, he likes to work through community and, and, uh, I think part of that is uh, being humble enough to know, man, it's just not about me. Uh, 
we have so many smart, super talented people. How about we ask them what they think and like, how could you make this better instead of sometimes that's just a pride thing of, or an ego thing of us uh, wanting to prove we can do it. And I think what the love I've felt in our organization has allowed me to relax and I don't need to prove myself. Mm -hmm. I, I believe they love me, whether regardless of what the performance is. Yeah. And so now I don't have to prove myself. Liberating, isn't it? Yeah. It allows me to be more open, you know, and yeah. And I hope other people feel that too. Man, that's awesome. I have two more questions for you. Okay. Uh, so first one is a potentially embarrassing question. The second one's going to be right. an easy one. So you, you mentioned earlier, you've made mistakes. Give, can you give us an, like just an example of like a, a real, just something you just totally screwed up at work? At work? And, at work. Yeah. And you, and you were like, man, I give us an example. What was, what, do you want a, the one that affected people the most or the one that was the most, the largest dollar amount? I would say the one I think that that money is is important, but I think that a financial lesson is less dramatic than yeah. a less you know than a lesson that where you're you're actually like other people are incredibly affected. Yeah. So I, I would say my biggest so so the the biggest financial one was, was like lost opportunity to like twelve million dollars. So it wasn't small, but I I don't consider that my biggest professional failure. I would say w what I think of is one of my biggest professional failures was uh back when we were when i was designing software designed a, a new scheduling system and we're very we're a production home builder and so we build lots of homes we have very established processes and so we were trying to build an, a really automated scheduling system the first time we did it was bad we me me and uh some of the software guys collaborated with some of the construction managers and uh, we designed a system that was what they were asking for and what we thought was the right thing. And it was terrible, man. Uh, it There was several uh, builders, uh, construction superintendents, that the scheduling, they would spend 12 hours a day working. And a large portion of that was scheduling, moving the schedule around. And it, it would just, it had a large large impact. I would say we lost three or four people in that season of just us trying to figure it out. And we have a great system today, but I also remember that came at the cost of some people. Yeah. And there's, there's some people that went through marital problems during that season that, yep. you know, I, we didn't cause that. We sure didn't help it though. Is that where your passion of a 50 hour work week comes from? Yeah. Well, some of that is to keep myself in check too. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, I think sometimes it's easier for me to stay at work. I can see concrete results. Literal concrete results? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All these slabs out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but As my I think I can joke. prove I'm adding value and I'm doing good at work. You know, there's like feedback for that. And, and when I'm at home with my kids... Uh, I've got two little girls. And so, you know, I go outside and play volleyball with my oldest one. Did I do good? Was I a good dad? Intimacy is hard. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like lots of us haven't been equipped well for for how to deal with that. And so we kind of tiptoe away from it. Yeah. And I can do that too. And so the 50-hour work week 
is a challenge for me, but also, man, I do believe you don't have to do this at the cost of people. The Lord never asked me to sacrifice my family for my work or the mission I'm a part of. He never asked me to do that. You know, when I do that, when I do that. Yep. And bad things happen. Yeah. It's me. It's, it's my own desire to perform and I make trade-offs. He never asked me to make. Yep. And I think in business, sometimes, you know, this is even more prevalent in nonprofits. I was talking to a guy today. That uh, is absurd. That they just, he works for a nonprofit and he finds himself working until eight, nine o'clock at night, four nights a week. And it's like, they see this mission out there that, that they're working so hard for, but they run over the people, the people in their organization. It's like, I know the, those people out there, that's our mission. You're not our mission. And they just use them up and he's about to leave. I mean, he, he told us that today. Just uh, because was, of that. He that's, was interviewing for a job. So yeah, he's, that's hard, he's man. about to leave because they're just wearing him out. And you just don't have to do that. You, this is kind of some of the practical stuff that God is teaching us that if you put the people first, I believe he'll take care of the business. And that takes, you can't always connect the dots. Like on the income statement, it's not like you can draw a straight line to, well, see how that worked out, but it does. And so when you seek his kingdom and by his kingdom, like that's a term we use all the time, like a kingdom's just anywhere a king reigns, right? Where he's seen as the one calling the shots. And God, Jesus talked about God's kingdom. Uh, he mentioned the word kingdom over a hundred times. He mentioned the word church twice. Jesus, all he did was talk about God's kingdom. And it wasn't some future thing. Like when I come back, well, it was, he, he, it was immediate. Like right now I'm teaching you how God's king, I'm here to reveal it. Like God's kingdom is breaking out right now. And it's not something we need to wait till he comes back to do. It's something that we can do now. The, the Lord is asking us to <laughs> usher in right now. In fact, let me tell you how it works, you know? And he was just always describing it. And even, you know, Jesus died, resurrected, and then he spent 40 days with the disciples, and then he went to heaven, right? Mm -hmm. I always think, those last 40 days, I bet you he was so intentional with every conversation. Like, I, I'm not going to see you anymore, okay? So I, I need to tell you a couple of things. You Will you sit there for a minute? Look, look at me in the eyes, guys. You know what he said he talked about? What? For 40 days, he talked about the kingdom of God. That's that's all it says about what he talked about. He talked about the kingdom of God. Shocker. And yeah. And so I actually think these kingdom principles, there's ways to apply them in a business. And that that's when I say God's revealing stuff to us, it's that here. Hey, hey, buddy, when you pay your trade partners, uh, most people call them subcontractors. Mm -hmm. What if you did that daily? You know, well, crap. You know, nobody does that. Uh, Lord, I don't know about daily. So how would we even pull that off? You know, stuff like that plays out in our business. It, but it's kingdom principles. I could, I could point you to the exact scripture that that idea came from. And it works. And it actually is so good. I, I could tell you a thousand ways how that plays out better financially, management-wise, for the subcontractor, uh, all kinds of stuff. But it's really just a biblical principle that we we figured out how to apply in a business that the Lord said, hey, buddy, what if we, and he did that way back when I was a software guy. There's a thousand little ways that he's teaching us to act now as if he is the one on the throne because he is. And so if 
if Jesus was in this meeting, how would this be different? If yeah. he was in our R and D meeting, would how would he make, design this, we make this home differently? Meeting? Yeah. There's just, yeah, that is adventure to me. Uh, it's divine like, inspiration, man. It's a force to be reckoned with, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it does make you feel like a crazy person most days and you don't always have all the plan and it makes you feel naked. Uh, it is quite the adventure though. You just got to get comfortable naked, Cal. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I do believe it's uh, confidence. I have, I have lots of good stories because of this. So last question is just to find out if you're a man of culture, have you and your family or you and your wife watched Hamilton yet? Are you kidding? Have we not talked about this? We have not talked about this. Okay. <laughs> I've seen Hamilton in person three times. I, Me and my wife took a trip to Chicago just to see Hamilton. What? Yeah, years ago. We also saw Hamilton on Broadway last year. Um, but I've seen Hamilton in Chicago twice and in New York on Broadway once. Also got a subscription to Disney Plus recently mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. of Hamilton. Oh, yeah. uh, I could sing every one of the songs. I'm, I'm right there with you. Maybe we should do an act. At yeah. work one day, just walk through. We I could literally, do, dude, we could do, would it be a good one? The Aaron Burr song. That'd be a really yep. good one. Cause it's only two people or the George Washington is going home song. Yep. I, that would be I, I literally song. have every single one of them memorized. Uh, I have right now on my iPhone. I have, I love musicals. I, I know that is, is weird, but no, I love I'm, musicals. You know what it is? It goes back to the woodworking thing. I, I almost mentioned this earlier. Like I love people who are just all about this thing and yeah. they, they've honed this craft and you can see the passion in their eyes and you can hear it in their voice and like it's contagious it's exciting it and it's just like that with musicals for me like i love seeing somebody come out on a live stage and just lay Rocky. it out there like i'm just gonna freaking go for it you know and those people are so insanely talented they can sing they can act they can dance you know and all the things that we can't do yeah no, I love Hamilton. I can't believe we haven't ever talked about That's it. That's like, hilarious. Like, ask Gina, does Cal like Hamilton? <laughs> Freaking won't shut up about it. Hey, I'm yeah. going to throw somebody <laughs> in the bus. You know, so I was over at Cisco's house, and uh, anyway, we were, we were, were ta- I was telling them about it. And so I, I said, you guys haven't, and they were like, no, we haven't seen it. And I was like, like, we're stopping everything now like, yeah. to watch Hamilton. Yeah. Meredith was fascinated by it. She loved it. Cisco, not impressed. Yeah. I'm disappointed in him. Yeah. And he, he knows I also love it. Uh, in fact, I made our entire leadership team. We all went and saw it one time in Chicago. Yeah. And it's not like, everybody loved it as much as I did, but Hey, even the historical, like I know some of it was embellished. Of it my, yeah. my wife actually read the, the big thick book, like the 5,000 page biography it was based on. And so she, she has let me know about which, which parts were embellished, but actually most really parts accurate. would shock you. Like even some of the parts you're like, well, that was embellished. Nope. That one was true. Nope. That one was true. <laughs> you 100%. know, it was just kind of crazy. He was such a interesting historical figure. Yep. No, no doubt. You were talking earlier, by the way, this will be the last one. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, yeah. We talked about him. Have you read his biographies? There's a five part biography on him. You need to go read it. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. He, he is a fascinating character as well. Somebody uh, like Winston Churchill, larger than life, you know, <laughs> his- very, uh, conf- uh, well, polarizing maybe yeah. like either love him or hate him. Nobody's like, yeah, he was okay. There's also a great, uh, biography that it's, it, it, they, they pulled it from all of his, his diaries during the war uh, for Winston Churchill. Um, I forgot the name of it. I actually just finished it a couple of months ago. Also awesome. 
Yeah. Well, cool. Cal, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm not going to take up any much, any more of your time. I think we've been going for, I don't even know how long, but it was a, a fun conversation. I feel like we covered a huge, huge, like we, we kind of did a little bit of everything. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. This is, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Yeah. So it, it, it might be a two part series, yeah. but I, I do, I do appreciate you taking the time and I know you're busy. You've got a family and, and everything else going on. Yeah. Come out and spend time with me. I enjoyed the conversation, man. And that's how my blog posts usually end up. Like I, I tried to write one and then it ends up being 7,000 words and now I got to break it Bear up it into down. three parts or something like that. Awesome. A little long winded. All right. Well, have a good night, Cal. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll see you.